you got your Bible, you want to turn with me to Job, Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. We have this week, next week, and the following week, and then we're done with the book of Job. In fact, we're going to finish Job and Hebrews in the same week. That's never happened before, where we finish two books at the same time. But we'll finish Job and Hebrews on the same time uh, uh, two weeks from now. And so uh, it's an opportunity for us to reflect back and realize all the things that God has done. But when you look at the book of Job, we realize that uh, way before the book of Job was written, our Lord began by saying these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God wants man to know him. And so he introduced himself as the creator of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Monumental statement because that's a statement that holds man accountable to the identity of God. So the Bible says in Psalm 19, these words, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. God has done everything that he has done so that you might know who he is. He made that very clear from the beginning. That because he is the creator of all things, this is how he wants to be known by the world. So that's how he introduces himself. Not as a God of love or mercy or grace or justice, but a God who is the creator of the world. So we saw last week, In Romans chapter 1, very clearly these words. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Romans 1 verse number 20. There is no excuse for man not to know who God is because he has made himself clearly No. God is invisible. So what does he do? He makes himself known by the things that he has made. Now, that's a very important word. It's a word where we get our English word poem, poema. The things that he has made describe his masterpiece. Our God is a literary or has written a literary masterpiece in the heavens on the earth, through his creation, so that he is clearly seen. We can't see him, but you can see everything you need to know about him because of what you have in creation. These things have been, as the text says, made, therefore man is without excuse. Very interesting that in the book of Ephesians, That same word is used of you and me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. For we are his making. We are his workmanship. We are his literary masterpiece. That's who we are. We are his poema. We are his poem. So the creation is a poem and his new creation is a poem. And as we're able to see the eternality of God, because from the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, or in the beginning, and therefore we see his eternality, we see his sovereignty, we see his divinity of the creator by looking at the world. So when the world sees his new creation, you and me, they see his mercy, they see his grace, they see his forgiveness, they see his love. Why? Because having received mercy, we extend mercy. Having been forgiven, we extend forgiveness. That's what we do. And so people are able to see the the attributes of God in his new creation like they see it in his natural creation. And so the Bible says that man is without excuse simply because God has made what needs to be known about him clearly visible to man. And therefore... When he recreates us in his image through 
the salvation work that only he can accomplish, we now become even a greater masterpiece because he is the one who has declared us his workmanship, his making. Now, man, looking at the natural universe, does not or cannot be saved that way. Man is only saved through special revelation, not through natural revelation. Natural revelation tells us that there is a God. Special revelation tells us who the God is. We know that the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing about a word concerning the Christ, Romans 10, 17. We know James 1, verse number 18 tells us that we are brought forth by the word of truth. We know that Psalm 19, 7 tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, and it's the one that converts the soul. We know that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse number 23, that man is born again by the living and abiding word of truth. So we know that special revelation is that which saves man. Natural revelation does not. Natural revelation tells man that there is a creator, there is a designer, there's someone who's fashioned all this. Special revelation tells us who that creator is. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby one must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the new creation, that's you and me, people who are born again, tell people about the God of creation simply because God has called us to be his ambassadors, his spokespersons, his representatives. And so we know that it is special revelation that saves man. And so the Bible also says in Proverbs 29, verse number 18, that without a vision, the people perish. Literal translation, without revelation, the people are unrestrained. Then it says, and happy is he who keeps the law. Without a revelation of God, man will perish. Without the revelation of who he is, man will perish. That's why it's so important to understand that God has revealed himself to us through his word, and that through that word, we're able to come to understand this creator, who he is, what he's done, and why he's done it. And so we come to understand God through the revelation that he has given to us. Without a revelation, people are unrestrained. People will perish. So what does God do in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41? He gives a revelation of himself to Job. He gives no explanation to Job, but he gives a revelation of himself. It's not a question of why do these things happen to me. It's a question of who is behind all these things that happen to me. It's the creator of the world. So God does not explain anything to Job at all. But he reveals himself to Job. And that revelation comes because he is the powerful controller of all creation. And he is the one who providentially cares for all of his creation. That was last week. And so what happened? Job would relinquish control, but he would not repent. That will happen tonight. He becomes silent, but he does not submit to God. And so God will speak again. And God will reveal more of himself to Job because God is going to drive Job to a place of utter dependence, total repentance, that he might acquiesce and capitulate to the authority of God in his life. And that's what God is doing in the life of Job. But... I want to go back and help you understand why it's important to understand God as your creator and why it's so imperative that we grasp this aspect because Job had to. And so many times we read Job 38 through 41 and miss all that's there. So the question comes for you and me, why or what we learn from this is so important? So, let me give you some principles before we get into chapter 4. Number one is this. You need to recognize your creator. You need to recognize your creator. 
The Bible tells us these words in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. You know them well. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. How do we know that God is a creator? By faith. What is faith? Faith is believing in what God has already said. What has God said? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Without faith, I will never understand God as creator. And faith is a gift given to us by God. And so therefore, we understand that God, through faith, helps us understand that what, that which is, is visible was made by the one who is invisible. And he is the creator of all things. But we need to recognize God as our creator. That's what Job needed to recognize, first of all, about his God. When you recognize God as creator, it will answer the past, it will announce the future, and it will articulate the present. Everything you need to know about God, everything you need to know about what's happening in your life, what's going to happen in your life, all centers around God as creator. Because God as creator answers everything that's happened in the past. It will announce everything that will happen in the future, and it will articulate everything that happens right now in your present, if you understand and recognize God as your creator. Let me show you this. Turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, God is announcing that he has an anointed one, a man that's not even born yet. He announces 100 years before Cyrus' birth that Cyrus is going to be the one that 150 years from now is going to lead Israel back from bondage back to Jerusalem. Okay? So God has a plan. And that plan is based on the fact that he is the creator of the world. And he goes on and talks about that you can't argue with your creator, you can't quarrel with your creator, because I'm in charge of all these things. And in uh, chapter 45, verse number 18, he says this, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth and made it, he established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no or none else or no one else. In other words, I am the one who made the earth, he says in verse number 12. I'm the one who created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained all their host. I am Israel's maker. I am Israel's creator. I did all this. He's going to help them understand the future. He's going to announce to them the future based on the fact that he is the creator of all things. And as he announces that, we look back on it and we read it and it answers everything that happened in the past. What took place in Israel's life? Why they went into 70 years of Babylonian captivity? Why it is God orchestrated all that? What was the timing behind all that? Who led them out of that? Who was the king at the time? So all that was announced for Israel so they would understand their future. But it also answers you and me everything about their past. Over in Isaiah chapter 51, look at this. Isaiah chapter 51, verse number 11. So the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion and everlasting joy will be on their heads and they will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and Zion will flee away. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. He says, I, even I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who is made like grass that you have forgotten the Lord, your what? Your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of your oppressors and as he makes ready to destroy, but where is the fury of your oppressor? In other words, he makes him know that I am your maker. I am your creator. I did all this. So as he announces their future, he does it based on the fact that he is their creator. And that answers everything that happens in their past but it also articulates your present. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse number one. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. 
And if I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He says in verse number 5, do not fear, for I am with you. He says in verse number 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. He says in verse number 10, you are my chosen servant. He says in verse number 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So what does he do? What does he do? What he does is that he articulates exactly what's happening in the present. I created this situation. When you go through the fire, I will be with you. When you go through the waters, they will not overflow you. Why? Because I am your Creator. I am your Maker. I'm the one who redeems you. I'm the one who fashions you. So when you go through difficult times, knowing that God is creator, articulates everything that's happening to you, knowing that God is going to protect, preserve, watch over, and do everything you need at that time. But you must recognize God as your creator. That's where it begins. Job had to recognize God as the creator of everything. Because once he did, it would answer his past. It would articulate his present, and it will announce his future, just like it does for everybody. Remember in Revelation 4, around the throne of heaven, what do they say in Revelation 4? They say it very loud, the four living creatures, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and we're created. So even in eternity, when we're around God's throne, it's about worthy as the Lamb who created everything. Because that's how God is known, as the great creator of man, the great creator of all things. So you need to recognize that God himself is your creator. Number two, you need to remember your creator. Once you recognize him, you must remember him. And you'll know this verse, book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse number one, Solomon says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we've forgotten about our creator? No. That's not what it means. It means Simply, to act decisively on behalf of someone else. To act decisively. Solomon says, when you are young, act decisively on what God has told you to do. So remember now your creator, who is your creator, in the days of your youth. Then he tells you why. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. We always say, well, you know what? I'll remember my creator when I'm older. Right now, I'm going to live life the way I want to live life. I want to have a great time. I want to do all the good things the world does. I want to be involved in those things. Solomon says, no, I've been there. I've done that. You wait that long, there's too many wounds, too many scars, too many consequences, too many bad habits, too many regrets. So... Remember your creator. Act decisively upon who your creator is while you're young. Now, the Bible speaks often about this when it says in 2 Corinthians 6 2, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Don't put it off. Act decisively now. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, 3, verse number 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of provocation in the wilderness. Not tomorrow, today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Paul says it this way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 15. Be ye wise, not unwise, by redeeming the time. Why? 
because the days are evil. Buy back every opportunity right now for the sake of eternity because the days are evil. They're not going to get any better. They're only going to get worse. So buy back every moment of every day. Buy it back for the sake of the glory of God. That's what a wise man does. They're all saying the exact same things that Solomon said. Act decisively right now based on the fact that God is your creator and follow him and serve him because the days are evil and evil days are going to come and you're not going to get any younger, you're going to get older. If you wait, too many negative consequences. Don't wait. Over in the book of Romans, 13th chapter, Paul says, do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly or walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the lust or for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Do you recognize your creator? If so, you can then begin to act decisively. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Number three, you need to rest in your creator. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter chapter four, verse number 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Peter is speaking to people who are suffering greatly. Saints that have been, been, been suffering such enormous consequences for their walk with the Lord. But he says, this is what you do. You need to make a deposit. The word entrust means to, to deposit. And rest in that. Rest in your creator. Deposit yourself into the hands of a faithful creator in doing what is right. Remember our Lord on, on the cross? He said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. I commit my spirit. He would do the same thing. He would rest in his father. And so therefore, Peter is saying, you need to rest in your creator. Why? Because what else will you do when you go through affliction and turmoil? But you won't rest unless you remember. remember. And you won't remember unless you recognize. So you better recognize who he is. And once you recognize who he is, you can remember him. You can do and act decisively based on who he is. And when you do that, you can finally rest in your creator. You see, Job is being brought to a place of commitment. Well, he will rest in his creator. Because all the while he's gone through what he's gone through, and we don't blame him, we understand this, he's looking for answers. He's not at rest. He's not at peace. He needs answers. And so God is going to answer Job in a way that Job did not expect, but will bring Job to a place of repentance so he recognizes that it's not the answers he needs. It's God he needs. So he can rest in that. Very important. Because you're going to see in a moment that when he repents, nothing changes in his life. When you come to chapter 42 and he repents, he retracts in dust and ashes and repents, nothing changes. Still has boils, still has no family, wife's still not there, has no friends, has no house, but he still repents. His circumstances didn't change. And so you realize that he learned to rest in his God, in the moment. 
amidst everything that was happening. And because he was repentant, repentant, he required nothing to change. He made no demands. He made no plans. He just recognized, this is what I got. I've lost it all. I have nothing. I'm in pain. It doesn't matter. I'm going to rest in one thing, that my God is everything. You see, but he had to recognize God as his creator. He had to remember God as his creator so he can rest in God as his creator. Number four, revere your creator. Listen to Psalm 95. You'll recognize these words, but something you won't recognize, I'll explain that to you in a moment. When it says, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a king, a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. See, the psalmist goes back to once again looking at God as creator. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. See the reverence for their God? Revere your creator. For the Lord God is your maker. That's very Important. Yahweh Hasinu, the Lord your maker. It's described over in Isaiah 64 this way, verse number eight. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. Yahweh Hasinu speaks about God's fashioning and designing of you. It's not that he created you out of nothing, but in his creation, he is forming and designing you to be the person he wants you to be. So there's great reverence for God because he is the one who is making us. He's making us what? He's making us like himself and stopping at nothing to do so. That's what the praise of God is all about. That's why we, we revere our God, because he's at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's never not at work in us. The creator is always doing something fashionable in the character of his people. And that's what God was doing in the life of Job. So you learn to revere your creator. Notice he says that, that I come, let us worship, and bow down. That's reverence. People ask, why, why do we get on our knees on Sunday morning? Why do we bow down on Sunday morning? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, these words, verse number uh, 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. What reason? What reason? Verse chapter 3, verse number 1, for this reason. Then Paul takes a parenthetical uh, sidestep and, and goes on and talks about the salvation experience. But everything in chapter 2 where we are saved by grace through faith, and because we're saved by grace through faith, we are his literary masterpiece. We are his workmanship because we are, for this reason, we bow down. For this reason, we, we, we bow before our God. We revere our God because he not only saved us, but he sanctifies us. He fashions us that we might be the people he wants us to be, that we might accomplish the plan he has for us. That's why we bow down. That's why we revere the Lord, our maker. If you recognize him, you'll remember him. If you remember him, you'll rest in him. If you rest in him, it's because you revere him. If you revere him, you will read about your creator. Read. See, That doesn't make any sense. Of course it does. Matthew 19, verse number four. Have you not read that from the very beginning, 
he created them male and female. Matthew 19, verse number 4. You need to read about your creator. You need to be involved in, in learning about your creator. Why is this so important? Because everything about your creator is, is true. It's true. He's the God of truth. And, and male and female created he them. Your young people, your, your, your children need to know the truth about male and female. What God has done. You see, that there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. You don't have truth. I don't have truth. Only God is truth. Right? Why? Because truth is the self-expression of the nature of God. That's what truth is. Christ says that he is truth. The Spirit tells us that he is truth. God the Father says he is truth. God's word, it is truth. Christ said, when I came, I came to testify to the truth. The truth about heaven, truth about hell, truth about man, truth about life, truth about death, truth about justice, truth about mercy, truth about heaven, hell, truth about everything. Christ says, when I came, I came to testify to the truth because I am truth. There's only one truth that's absolute. It's objective. Your truth is subjective, but it's not truth. It's just your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter because you have to measure it against one standard. God's standard. His truth. We don't have truth, except what God tells us is true. That's true. And so you need to read about your creator because your creator is true. And everything your creator does is done in truth because that's who he is. And so, because truth is a self-expression of God himself, read about God, your creator. So important. And then, how about this? Run with your creator. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. When he talks about, to Jacob, about why do you say my way is hidden from you? We talked about this last week. And the justice do me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? He, his understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths go weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait or wrap themselves in trust around the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You need to run with your creator. How do you do that? By wrapping yourselves around him, by tying yourself up in his existence and trusting completely in him. That's what God wants Israel to do. He says, have you not heard? This is who I am. I'm your creator. I have a perfect plan on the master architect of your life. And while everybody else gets tired and grows weary, not me. So wrap yourself around me and you'll run and not get tired. You'll walk and not grow weary. But if you don't wrap yourself around me, you'll get tired. Because you don't have enough strength. I'm the creator. I have all the power. So you need to run with your creator and even run to your creator. Psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse number 32, I believe it is, I run the way of your commandments. In other words, I can't wait to run with you. I can't wait to run to you. I can't wait to run because everything about me is about you. So you need to run with and to your creator. Number seven, you need to rejoice in your creator. Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than, he, than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. 
come into his presence with thanksgiving, with joy, because he is the one who has made us. How about Psalm 149? No prayer, no petition, no plea, just praise. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? Why? Verse 5. For he commanded and they were created. That's why. He also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Everything praises God. Everything does. Why? Because he's the creator. God is driving Job this way. He wants Job to recognize that there's a creator. And he is the God who creates. He wants Job to remember his creator. He wants Job to rest in his creator. He wants him to revere his creator. He wants him to read about his creator, run to his creator, rejoice in his creator. Because if you do, he'll repent and turn to his creator. And that's what brings us to Job chapter 40, 41, and 42. God knows That once Job understands his powerful control of creation, his providential care of creation, his preeminent command over creation, and the proficient creatures that he has created, behemoth and Leviathan, Job will repent. He does. So in chapter 41... God picks up the conversation with Job. He says in verse number six, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Again, he says the same thing he said before. Man up, Job. Are you ready? Gird up your loins. Be ready. It's time to go one more round. Here we go. Hold on to your skirt, Job. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden places. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. If you can do these things, Joe, I will confess that you can save yourself. But you can't. You know why? Because in the revelation of God comes the preeminent commandment of God. The preeminent commandment of all creation is God's responsibility. And then he talks about two proficient creatures, behemoth and leviathan. Now these two creatures, behemoth is a land animal, and leviathan is an aquatic animal. So one's in the water, one's on land. And you can read commentaries about what behemoth is. Some will say he's a hippo. Some will say he's a rhino. I don't think either one of those is the case. I think behemoth is a dinosaur. I really believe that. I believe that the description given in Isaiah chapter 40 talks to us about the brachiosaurus. And that's probably more accurate than a hippo or a rhino. Although most commentators say that's the case. I'm not going to argue that case. It could be whatever it wants to be. I don't know what it was. I'm not there. All I know is based on what God says in his word. But Leviathan's a water water monster. Okay? Some would say, well, that's that's a crocodile or that's a large whale or that's a Uh, a seven-headed dragon creature. Again, none of us really knows what it is. But Job knew. Job understood. And Job knew that nothing of these could be tamed. Nothing of them could be controlled. 
They were so powerful. They were so beyond anything that they, fought, they brought fear in the hearts of man. And so God says, these are the two proficient creatures of my creation. Nothing like them. Nothing like behemoth. Nothing like Leviathan. And Job, you had nothing to do with them. You cannot control them. You cannot tame them. You can't, you can't play with them. They're not going to be a, a, a house pet. It goes beyond anything. He says in verse number 10 of chapter 41, no one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him, that is Leviathan. Who then is he that can stand before me? If you can't stand before Leviathan, you can't even begin to stand before me. If you think he's powerful, you haven't seen anything yet. Verse 11, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And I'll let you read for yourself. Job 40 and 41. But look what happens to Job in chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. This is so genuine. It's a broken and contrite heart on the part of Job. And all God did was reveal to Job that he was the creator of everything. He is the preeminent commander of his creation. He is the one who powerfully controls his creation. He's the one who providentially cares for his creation. And all he did was reveal that aspect of himself to Job. And Job's response was, all this is way beyond me. I shouldn't have said anything. I repent in dust and ashes. God's purpose, God's purpose is unfolding I cannot change it. God's plan is unbelievable. I cannot comprehend it. God's providence is unalterable. I cannot control it. God's power is unfailing. I cannot contain it. God's purpose has been unveiled. And I cannot correct anything about him. He's beyond me. See, the problem with us is that we think we can understand God. We think we can comprehend God. We think we can control what God does. We think we can contain God. We can't. And Job came to a place in his life where I can't do anything. And God never one time ever said to Job, wow, things must be really hard for you. It must be really difficult. Those sores, they look painful. And yet Job, when he came face to face with the living God, didn't say, Lord, you're great. Could you, could you please change my boils? Could you really do something about my wife? Could, could you handle the fact that I've lost everything? Could you give me my job back? See, when you have a broken and contrite heart, You make no demands and you have no agenda. Job makes no demands. And he has no agenda. He has no plan. Why? Because if you know God, you don't need a plan. Because God is the one who plans everything. God's in charge. And so he he, he had no plan. He had no agenda. He he didn't know what God was going to ask him to do. And next week you're going to see where God's going to ask him to pray for his friends. Again, nothing changed. Pray for him while you experience the pain of all your boils. Pray for your friends. I know you had no family. Pray for your friends. Intercede on behalf of your friends. Intercede on behalf of those who slandered you. Intercede on behalf of those who who would uh, speak against you. Intercede on behalf of those who really aren't your friends but are miserable counselors. You need to intercede on their behalf because they can't intercede on their own behalf. 
because they didn't speak the right things about me. But you did. So you intercede for them. And again, no change. Job has nothing. He's still a broken man, filled with affliction and adversity. And he obeys. He prays for his friends. And once he prays for his friends, God blesses him and gives him twice as much as what he had before. But he had no idea that was going to happen. There was no guarantee things were going to change. That's how you know it's a true repentant heart, right? I repent even though I am in the situation. I repent even though I'm still in the ash heap. I repent even though I have no home to go to. I repent even though I can't shower because the water would be painful in my boils. I'm going to repent even though my wife is not with me and she still wants me to curse God and die. I'm still going to repent because I know that what I said was wrong and the way I've acted is wrong. And I, I do not know, I did not know that I was this, in this situation because of my own attitude. And so he began to pray and seek his God. And humble himself before him. That's what he did. And all that happened because there was a revelation of God before him. That's why it's so important to, to know that without a revelation, the people are unrestrained. Without a revelation, the people will perish. The revelation of God is everything because the revelation of God is the truth of God. And the truth of God is what people need to hear, know, and understand. And without that truth, we're unrestrained. And so we trust in the God who grants us these things. So here is Job. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. God never turns away a broken and contrite heart. Now think about this. Job is the greatest man on the planet. And yet he had to come to a place of repentance. Job was the most blameless, upright, God-fearing man turning away from evil that ever existed. And yet he still had to come to a place of repentance because he had to come to recognize God as his creator. That is, he was the maker, the fashion designer of all things in Job's life. When Job got to that point, recognizing his creator, remembering his creator, resting in his creator, revering his creator, rejoicing in his creator, all he could do was run to his creator and repent and turn to his creator. And God blessed him immensely. But he didn't repent so God would bless him. Because he didn't know that. He repented because he needed to. He was wrong. And he recognized it. And he repented because of the revelation of God before him. See, the revelation of God is not designed to make you feel good. The revelation of God is designed to bring you before God who is good. See that? Big difference. We want to hear a message that makes us feel good. Job wasn't feeling good about his message. That was he was hearing he was hearing. Because everything about God was just with great intensity coming at him. Helping him understand the, the greatness of his character. And as he began to, to hear all that God said. God never one time offered words of comfort and encouragement to Job. Because that's not what Job needed. See, the problem is that we think that's what we need. And God only gives us what is truly needed. A revelation of his character. Because when you come to know him, that's everything. Having not seen him, yet you love him, First Peter chapter 1, verse number 8, right? He who believes in him 
1 Peter 2, 6, is never disappointed. Quote from Isaiah 28, verse number 16. He who believes in him is never in a hurry. Never in a hurry to what? To run away from him. Why? Because he's everything. The problem with us is that God to us is not our everything. God is just an add-on to everything else we already have. And God says, no, 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 I'm, I'm your everything. And maybe in Job's life, God was an add-on to his perfect family, his great business, his wonderful life, his rich lifestyle, because he had all those things. And maybe God was just an add-on for Job. And God had to bring Job to a place where he was more than just an add-on. He was everything. And all of a sudden, he realized God was his everything. He would repent. He'd pray for his friends. And God would give him twice as much as what he had before. Can you imagine Job laying down with his wife? And she leans over and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. And she's 70 years old. And for the next 25 years, they're going to raise 10 more children. Because God's going to give them twice as much as what he had before. He said, well, wait a minute. I thought he had 10 children. 10 more is not twice as much. Yes, it is. Because the other 10 are still living. They're just living in glory. Right? So he added to those 10 that are already living in glory, he added 10 more on earth. And for the next 25 years, they would raise those 10 children because Job would live to be 240 years of age. That means he was 70 years old when this took place. 70 years old when he came to a place of repentance because he came face to face with his living creator. And my prayer for you and me is that we would truly recognize, remember, revere, rejoice, and run the way of our creator every single day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to study your word. As brief as it is, Lord, we are grateful that we can gather together. Lord, we're grateful for this man, Job. He teaches us so much about ourselves. He helps us see the flaws in our own life. Because certainly none of us are the greatest person on the planet. And yet, Lord, we're able to see all kinds of flaws. And yet, in spite of all those flaws, you love us so. And you created us. You fashioned us. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There are things you want us to do, Lord, ways you want us to serve you. May we do it in a way that honors your great and glorious name. We thank you in Jesus' name.